Well, good morning. So let's uh, open with a word of prayer. Father, we uh, thank you that we have this time to uh, come together to have fellowship. We pray now that we would focus our hearts and our minds on this passage and what it has for us today, the truth that will be revealed. Uh, pray that we would get a better understanding of what it means to come to the table in, in a worthy manner. Thank you for everything you do for us and the price that you paid on the cross for our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. So, coming in a manner worthy is what we're talking about today. Uh, we're actually going to be finishing out this mini-series, if you will. Um, we have talked about, in the past few months, we talked about 17 through 22 verses in here in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, right? And we were talking about the divisions and the factions in the church, right? How some were going ahead of the others, right? The rich were going ahead and eating their own meal and leaving the poor to starve on their own. Um, and basically, that is what they were doing wrong, the Corinthian church in general. That was the sins that they were committing during communion, if you will. And then basically, Paul, from 17 to 22, points to verses 23 through 26, which he says, this is what it should be. This is communion. This is what you are to remember, right? The body and the blood of Christ, um, which is what we do every single month, right? During communion, we say these verses. And now he looks at basically the consequences for their actions in verses 17 through 22. Um, this is what is happening because they were doing communion in an unworthy manner. And so let's read these verses. It says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that when we, uh, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. So these are the verses that we're going to be looking at, and it's a lot of verses, so we got to make some time here. So, the first thing we're going to learn is that we judge according to the cross. We see that in the first two verses, right? Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. In that unworthy manner, right? That is how we are not to come to the table, right? Don't come to the communion today in an unworthy manner. And the key word is manner there. But we first have to note that it is possible, right? You can come here today, you can eat the bread and drink the cup, and you can do so in an unworthy manner. And we'll see the consequences for that in a bit. Um, but the unworthy manner is kind of vague, right? He doesn't point to specific sins, right? And he could have, at this point in time, right? He could have looked at verses 17 through 22 and pointed to those and say that is the unworthy manner. But he kind of leaves it open for us, right? And so we have to remember that 
it's a manner, right? Not unworthy in himself, right? Because to some extent, we all will be unworthy, right? We're human beings. We're sinful human beings. So we can't have to come in a manner worthy. I like this illustration, right? Because we have to remember, Paul's not looking for perfection in human beings. We can't be perfect in ourselves, right? There was a communion service at Scotland. The pastor noted that a woman in the congregation did not accept the bread and the cup from the elder, but instead sat, sat weeping. The pastor left the table and went to her side and said, Take it, my dear. It's for sinners. Right? And we have to remember that, right? You will never be perfect, right? You have been perfected in Christ, but you are still a human being. In some ways, we will never truly be worthy. But we have to remember that we are a sinner, and we must not sin while we are at the table of Christ. That is communion. Um, and it's interesting, because that's exactly what the current Corinth was doing, right? They were sinning at the table. They were doing communion, and they were going ahead with each other, or by themselves, right? Separating the church, not having that unity. So what does an unworthy manner look like, right? I said it's kind of vague, just an unworthy manner. Well, it can be a lot of different things. I have a few things here. Having it be ritualistic, right? You just come to church every week, or every so often, right? It happens to be a communion week, so yeah, why not? We'll just take communion. Just something you do. Or you do it maybe because you feel like you have to do it. You always, right? Just a ritualistic thing you do. You just do it. You don't even know why. You could believe it imparts some sort of grace or merit, right? Merit. That it is that which is giving you grace instead of what it represents. Right? The body and the blood of Christ. You could just be doing it nonchalantly, right? Not just taking for granted the greatness of the sacrifice that it represents. Or you could be doing it with bitterness or hatred in your heart, either for God or for unbelievers or anyone, right? Your heart is not focused on God, right? So... An unworthy manner. I like what MacArthur says. He says, if you come with anything, then the loftiest thoughts of God and the total love for saint, or for the saints, then it is in an unworthy manner. That's a pretty good way to think of it. As we come to the table, our hearts should be fully focused on Christ, fully focused on God and the sacrifice that he paid for us. So, how do we come in a worthy manner? What does a worthy manner look like? Well, the first thing is we must thoroughly examine ourselves. Um, So he says, you will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Verse 28, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Right? That's what we are called to do. And this examining your heart. And this word for examine is used... For testing metals, right? The purity of those, right? And the idea is we are supposed to sift out all the evil in our hearts, in this world, and turn it to Christ. Uh, The same word is used in 2 Corinthians 13. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 through 6. It says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. 
test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? I hope that you'll find out that we have not failed the test, right? Examine yourselves, and you do that, why? To see uh, that Jesus Christ is in you. And we see Christ, and we see the work that he has done, and we see the work that he has done for us, that we are one with him. So that is the, after our examination, that is the conclusion we should come to. We see a heart for, of love for him and for those who are his children, his saints. We should have a confidence that Christ is in us. So we examine ourselves, and then we confess our sins. Um, And notice our, right, or your. You confess your sins. This is not a time to play religious detective with everybody else, right? You're focusing on yourself and your position before a holy and just God. So 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, the thing is, we may be unworthy as human beings, but it is Christ who makes us worthy. So we confess our sins, right? Examine your heart and confess your sins. So what happens if we don't do that? What happens if we don't examine? Well, it kind of explains it in the next right, right? And if you come in an unworthy manner, will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. And so this will be, I like that because it's emphatic, right? This will happen. It's going to happen if you come in an unworthy manner, right? What will happen? You will be guilty, really. Guilty of what? Of the body and the blood of the Lord. It's an easy progress to follow there. Right? That is what happens when we come in an unworthy manner or with unconfessed sin, right? Because when we come with unconfessed sin, we are guilty of his body and blood, right? Because it is that sin that put him there. So, when you think of this, it's kind of like it is mocking what Christ did for us, right? And a perfect example of this is a flag. Right? When you think of a flag, and you can see videos right, of people stomping on the flag, right? they are not stomping the cloth. They are not rebelling against that. They are rebelling or mocking what that flag stands for, the ideals behind the flag. Right? If it's an American flag, they are mocking what America stands for, not the flag itself. So in the same way, when we do it in an unworthy manner, we are trampling on the cross of Christ. We are guilty of mocking what he did for us, right? And therefore we receive the judgment, right? And so this judgment we have to kind of talk about. What does that mean, judgment? It talks about a lot in the following verses. So let's read those, 29 through 30. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. So first of all, he says, discern, discerning the body. This word discern means to distinguish or separate, right? This is still part of that examining. He's kind of just rehashing that idea. 
We are to separate, discern that which is holy from that which is unholy. So we are to discern the body and the blood of Christ. And we kind of talked about that last week, or last week, last month. Um, When we were talking about communion, how we are to approach communion, right? We are supposed to remember the whole of Christ's life and his sacrifice, right? Everything that Christ did, everything he taught, the way he lived his life perfectly, and the sacrifice that he made for us. We are to recount all of that and contemplate all of that as we take communion. But we also should discern the body of Christ, meaning the church, right? Now, I can't lie, in these verses specifically, it's dealing really with the body of Christ being the physical body of Christ. Um, But there is a sense in which we should discern the local body of believers, right? To have that unity with others who are in Christ, right? If you turned back a few pages to chapter 10, verse 17, it says, Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread, right? So there's a sense in which also we need to consider our church, the unity and the body of Christ. Um, So we should have our hearts right with God, and we should have our hearts right with his children. So without discernment, though, we receive judgment, right? That's what he says. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning, without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. And I like the that is why, right? The direct correlation, right? You were drinking in an unworthy manner. That is why. You weren't discerning. That is why. Many are weak, ill, and some have died, right? Sickness, sickness even to the point of death, right? And when I was considering this, I was thinking about Corinth. When Paul wrote this, there must have been a significant amount of people who had actually gotten weak, ill, and died, right? To the fact that he, they would correlate those sicknesses and those deaths with what Paul just said, right? If that happened today, if someone said that to me, I'd say, well, who is weak, ill, and who has died here? Right, if Paul wrote it to this church specifically, right? But there was a group of people that it was apparent, why did this happen to these people? Why are they ill? Why are they sick? Why have they died? And Paul says, those people, this is why. So, believers can receive judgment. So this judgment here, in verse 29, I believe, is krima. It has the idea of chastisement, um, carries along the idea of a father training his children. Um, And we have to be careful with that when I say believers can receive judgment, because we do not receive condemnation, right? If you turn to Romans 8, Romans 8, 1, you will read this. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death, right? So we have to be very careful right there. Believers do not receive condemnation. That is what unbelievers will receive, right? And that's clarified in verse 32. The word is katerima there. So we are 
verse 32, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world, right? We are judged so that we are not condemned. That is the point of it. So judgment, crema, for believers and condemn catalema for the condemn or for unbelievers. So now that we have that down, judgment on believers, what does that look like? Well, Paul also explains that here in this verse, right? Um, that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Right? Spiritual ills can have physical consequences. And the thing is, I actually have a tendency to do the opposite, right? I usually discredit my spiritual life from my physical life, right? But I can actually recall times where I was not walking with the Lord and I got sick. And even at the time I was sick, I correlated that sickness to what I was doing wrong. I don't always do that. Sometimes I just get sick. But there have been times where I correlated the sickness with what I did. And I think that's just the outworking, the Holy Spirit, right? Working in my heart, helping me acknowledge that I sinned and there was a consequence for it. So, many of you is what it says. Not all. Again, not every sickness, right? Don't go to every person who's physically sick and say, oh, you must be doing something wrong. Because that is not the point. Um, So, we may not get condemnation, but... Our judgment can be severe. And note the progression in the severity there, right? Some are weak, okay, some are ill, okay, and some have even died. And this some have is a very interesting, in the NASB, um, New American Standard Bible, it is a number are asleep, that's what it says. And this a number are is very interesting because the literal is some... uh, of the some have is a sufficient is what it's saying. That is a sufficient number God has killed off. Therefore to purify the church, right? There is a number of those who were profaning the church and God had killed off those people and now the church is purified and you can move on. Right? With the knowledge of this. So Again, he did it to purify the church. So the thing is, this happened, right, in Corinth, but does this still happen today? Does God still work this way? Well, first of all, I want to take you to a story in Acts 5. Turn there. Acts 5, 1 through 11. We're not going to read all of it because it's a little long. But verse 1, But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only uh, only a part of it and laid it to the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of uh, the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold... Did it not remain in your own? Uh, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias, Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And a great fear came upon all who heard of it. Right there again, you see this man sin, sin against God, and what was the consequence? Right? Just a lie. People do that all the time. He 
lied to God. Imagine being guilty of the body and the blood of Christ. Right? And actually, when you continue to read on, you see what his wife does, right? Sapphira. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much, right? He's getting like quite to the, right to the point. And she said, yes, for so much. And Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Right? There was severe consequences for them lying to God. So, we just remember that even as they were reminded, right? They were not lying to man. It was not Peter they were lying to. They were lying to God, the Holy Spirit. Much like it is not man we are guilty of. We are guilty to God. And so the question would be, well, that was still in Acts, right? That was a while ago. Does it still happen today? And actually, I was recalling my childhood, and I remembered, I was thinking about, I actually had a, there was a friend that died um, when I was a kid. I was probably like 12 or so, maybe even younger. Um, and obviously, you kind of wrestle with, like, how does this happen? You know, the other kid wasn't that old. He was still pretty young, old enough to make his own decisions, though. Um, but what happened is he was a believer, and he was kind of going the wrong way, and he died, right? And so as I was contemplating this, I was kind of asking my dad, how is it, right? Obviously, his kid's life was taken away, which is sad. How is it that happened? And my dad actually explained this to me <laughs> as a kid. And, you know, I didn't really understand it. I mean, I got what he was saying, but, you know, not understanding God. Holiness and his just and his judgments, right? Uh, he told me that God took him away so that he could be with God. I mean, kind of explaining the same scenario, right? He was going his own way, and God's judgment came and took him away. And now that may seem harsh, but ultimately it was for his own good, right? He is now in heaven, right? God took him away. To be with him. That's what we all want, ultimately. So here's the thing. You have to remember that the cross is the most serious act of God's love. And God will not allow us to mock the cross in any way. He will not allow us to mock what Christ, his son, paid for us. Be with him means judgment to death. So... Point number three is the judgment of God. Lots of judgment. So, going back to our scripture, we read verses uh, 31 through 32, which is, But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. For when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may be, <clears throat> so we may not be condemned along with the world. So first of all, we need to judge ourselves truly. Again, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, right? We already talked about the examining of ourselves. Um, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Therefore, we can come to the table in a manner worthy.
worthy because God will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we don't, right, we need to be disciplined. And this is a hard thing for, I think, the American or Christians, anyone really, to understand. Even if we understand it, it's hard when it actually plays out in our life. Then it's like, okay, this is a little tougher. So, but God's judgment, again, not condemnation. You have to be carefully separated those, right? Separates his children from the world, right? Because the world gets condemned, his children are chastised, right? The chastening of the Lord, right? Verse 32 is what clarifies that. We are disciplined, judged, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. That's an important piece of it. Again, even if that leads to death, right? It's better than being condemned along with the world. So God's judgment for believers is good. When it happens, we may not think that, but it is true, right? You could turn to Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. This is a beautiful verse to clarify this, right? And it says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons, right? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives, right? And usually I stop there, but actually the rest of the verses are so beautiful as well. Keep reading these seven, right? It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? If you are left without Without discipline, in which all all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seems best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Those are a lot of verses, but those are very beautiful verses explaining the discipline of the Lord and why it is good for us, right? A special note, I when I was reading this, was verse 8, right? If you have participated, then uh, if you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Right? It is a mark of being a believer is being disciplined by God. Right? When we go astray, God brings us the right way. Right? And He does that through His discipline because He loves us. Right? That's why Wearsby said the chastening. Um, He said, chastening proves God's love for us, right? It is because God loves us, he does that. So, that is the discipline of God, right? Or the judgment, right? But there's also the condemned in verse 32. God will judge the condemned. And so one commentator says, judgment is not condemnation. One is a timely working 
right? Judgment is a timely working of the saints. The other is an irrevocable sentence. They are condemned. Condemnation is eternal judgment and wrath of God to those who do not believe. And so Paul kind of has the closing thoughts, right? After explaining the judgment of God, 33 through 34. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Pretty simple, right? Again, he explained what they were doing. Then he explains what they should be doing. Then he explains the consequences for what they were doing, which we just looked at. And they just, the conclusion, right? Just wait for one another. You could avoid all of this judgment if you just wait for one another. Um, uh, and then again, if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. Simple solution. Usually they are. So that when you come together, it will not be for judgment about the other things that will give direction when they come, right? There was other things they wanted to talk about, but he gave them everything he needed. Same for us, to have communion in a worthy manner. This is what it means. And also the consequences for not. And so kind of in conclusion... Um, I wrote here in my notes, be thankful, because I realize that the message today, it is Thanksgiving weekend, or next week, uh, usually you would have a thing based around Thanksgiving and all of that, Um, but I wanted to finish out this series, Um, but as we look at this, there are a lot of things to be thankful for, and in fact, we should be thankful for, right? Not only is this the word of God and it's truth and we can apply it to our lives, we can know how to come to the table in a worthy manner. We should be very grateful for that. But when you think about it in general, you can be thankful that you can come to the table in a worthy manner because you have been made righteous through him who is righteous, right? The cross of Christ. That's why we're here today for communion. You can be thankful that you will not receive condemnation to be condemned eternally. And you can even be thankful that you will receive judgment from time to time. That when you are drawn astray by this world or through your own means, right? God will bring you back. He will chasten you. He will chasten after you, right? With his love. We can be thankful for that. We should be thankful for that, even if it's difficult at the time it happens. I'll end with this quote. It's Wearsby. He says, Communion is not supposed to be a time of spiritual autopsy and grief, even though confession of sin is important. It should be a time of thanksgiving and joyful anticipation of seeing the Lord. Jesus gave thanks, even though he was about to suffer and die. Let us give thanks also. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you that we have had this time to study your word, to see what it means to come to the table in an unworthy manner so that we can examine our hearts and confess our sins and come to the table in a worthy manner, um, knowing that we will never be perfect But it is because of you dying on the cross for our sins, you made us to be righteous. We just thank you and praise you for that. And I pray that we will never forget that. um, That 
as we come to your table, we'd have our complete minds focused on you, have a complete love for you, and a complete love for your saints. In Jesus' name. faithfulness was a poem written by Thomas Chrisholm, a Methodist minister back in 1923. Mr. Colson sent his poem to his friend William Ronyan, who was an affiliate with the, Mo with the Moody Bible Institute to have his poem set to music. The hymn became very, very popular among evangelical Christians and was often sung by Billy Graham at his international crusades. The lyrics are taken from Lamentations 3, verse 22 to 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. My prayer for all of us is that we can always remember how great and faithful the Lord is and that we can be reminded every day we wake up of that and give glory to him. So please rise and let's sing, Great is Thy Faithfulness.
seated. An interesting thing as we think about God's faithfulness is it's not something that God became. He did not become faithful. He is faithful. Uh, He is faithful from eternity. Uh, He was faithful when he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on that cross, the cross that, as we've sung, we are thankful for, uh, because it is a reminder of that great sacrifice. Uh, We're thankful for those scars, which will be in uh, Jesus's hands and feet for eternity as a reminder of that great price that was paid. You know, and as Pastor Caden spoke in relation to discipline and uh, God is faithful in disciplining us and, and drawing us back because God knows that the very best that we can have only comes from him. Uh, that when we sh- uh, wander away, when we stray, uh, when uh, we are prone to wander, uh, as the hymn says, uh, God draws us back. And the reason for that is because we belong to him. We have been bought and paid for fully. Uh, a, a, an actual transaction took place. When we, we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, when we, we repent of our sins and believe in him for salvation, uh, a transaction takes place, one that is eternal, that cannot be undone. And so, therefore, because God is faithful, he is going to discipline us. He is going to draw us back. Uh, and I like uh, the, the context, actually, of the passage that um, Pastor Caden read in Hebrews chapter 12. If you back up a few verses here, uh, it, it speaks to uh, uh, our, our current condition, where our focus needs to be, and what will keep us from having to find ourselves under uh, God's faithful yet loving discipline. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that's referring back to chapter 11, which is the, the chapter of faith, where we read about individuals that uh, honored God, uh, some of which we have even in the scriptures that did not honor God. We can learn from the examples of Ananias and Sapphira to know that God sees sin uh, as a direct uh, uh, rebellion against his holiness. Uh, and he cannot stand because he is faithful. He cannot allow that to go unpunished even if that means for a believer uh, to find that it's better for them to be in heaven with God than to be on this earth because of their disobedience. Not in relation to salvation. This is what we are talking in relation to communing with God. We are taking communion because we are, we are actually coming into the presence of God and doing the very thing he commanded us to do. It goes on to say, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, consider Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that, so here's the reason why, so that, you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Jesus did that for you. That is why we spend this time in communion each month, to remember God's faithfulness, to remember Christ's sacrifice, to remember that we have been bought and paid for, that we belong to God, and we put our faith and trust in him. 
And even if that means if as we, we live our lives and we think back to that, that faith chapter, it reminded me of Enoch. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he did not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And that's something that every believer should seek as we are running that race, as we are enduring that race that is set before us to be seen as one who pleased God. And that's why we gather together. That's why we remember Christ through this. And so, since we have learned about making sure that we do not take this meal in an unworthy manner, for the next few moments, as we bow in prayer, this is the time to confess sin to God, to make sure that uh, you are not bringing something to this communion time that is unworthy and does not belong. And that would be sin, because this is a place of holiness, this is a place of sacrifice, uh, a place of remembrance of what Christ had to give so that we could be freed from sin. So let's spend a few moments in, in prayer as we prepare to take this meal in a manner worthy of God. Gracious Father, we do thank you for your faithfulness to us, that even when we are faithless, you are still faithful. Lord, we thank you for the chance to commune once more around this table, a table of remembrance, a table that uh, helps us to step back out of the hectic life that we live to that moment on the cross when Jesus hung, uh, his blood was shed, that he, he died, that he was buried, and that he was raised again from the dead and is seated at the right hand of the throne. Lord, may we, as we take this meal, take it in a manner worthy to make sure that we do not bring sin to a place that is a remembrance of the cost of sin. Uh, and we'll give you the honor and the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. As you know, because of COVID, we are not passing plates around uh, the sanctuary. And so at this time, uh, each section will start on the side walls here. Just come up, grab your cup and your, um, uh, the cup of, of the juice and the cup of, of bread. Take both of those back to your seat at the same time. And please give enough time for people to come up and return to their seats before the next rows dismiss. Um, but just follow and form and, and come and, and let's uh, prepare to take this meal together.
its pals. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for what this bread represents. Uh, this represents your son's body. Uh, we know from your authoritative word that uh, your son was sent, that he uh, took on human flesh to dwell among us, to be Emmanuel, uh, for the purpose of uh, walking amongst us, for the purpose of communicating the truth, uh, that we are a people in need of a Savior, uh, and that short of faith and trust in Jesus, your Son, who is the way, the truth, and the life, that we are lost uh, and receiving the just due reward, uh, or as we should say, penalty for our sin. Uh, and Lord, I pray that uh, as we take this bread that we remember that uh, his sinless, perfect body hung on that cross, a symbol of shame, uh, a symbol of someone who was guilty, but your son was not. He was pure, sinless, and thought, word, and deed. Uh, and Lord, we thank you for that commitment uh, that he, an obedience hung on that cross. Uh, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, too, we know that this cup represents the shed blood of your sinless son, Jesus Christ. We know that the cost associated with sin and unholiness, unrighteousness before a holy and just uh, and righteous God is the shedding of blood. Uh, as the Old Testament was the shedding of blood of animals, and the priest would have to give a sacrifice for his sins first uh, and then for the people uh, lord we are thankful that your son jesus christ came once for all to shed his blood uh, sinless blood uh, that is able to um, make payment uh, for the sin that we have before you we thank you for the faith to believe and to see this great work uh, that that sacrifice made that your wrath upon us is appeased because as was shared earlier in Romans chapter 8 verse 1 there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus because your wrath has been appeased the sinless blood of your son Jesus Christ was shed may we never forget that uh, and may we be truly thankful for that each and every day in Jesus name amen In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's stand together as the worship team leads us in our closing song uh, as we continue uh, to give honor and praise and glory to our one and only king. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Let's
only wise person, Jesus, the one who has all things in control, the one we can put our full trust and confidence in that he's got tomorrow. There is no greater truth than this. There is no stronger love we know. God Himself comes down to live. He makes the sinner's heart His throne. There is no deeper peace than this. No other kindness can compare. He clothes us in. Righteousness forever free, forever air. Oh, praise the only one who shines brighter than ten thousand suns. Death and hell call him victorious. Praise him. Oh, praise the one true king. sweeter joy than this. There is no stronger hope we hold. We are His forevermore. Safe, secure by Christ alone. Oh, praise the only one who shines brighter than ten thousand suns. Death and hell call Him Shines brighter than ten thousand suns, death and hell. 